0: Well, church family, before we go any further, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer because we want our hearts open to what God has for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again, Lord, for the promise of heaven. And He told us, Lord, to rejoice not because the demons are subject to us, but because our names are written in heaven. Thank you, Lord. There is preserved for us even now a place for us in heaven. And Jesus, help us to be faithful to the calling. Help us to be faithful to your word. And right now, we want to pray that our hearts would be open. God, we are praying for more than just a sermon, but for revival. We're praying that our hearts would again just be full of spiritual life. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said before, it is good to be back in series. I have missed this church greatly, and uh, for some of you who don't know, I have been in Mountain View, California. That's the San Jose area. I've been doing a prophecy seminar there, been there for a few weeks, and this last week I had to go back for a couple days, came back two nights ago, and then sometime next week I'll have to go back again just for a couple days. And doing this, we're doing follow-up studies. But God really blessed this prophecy seminar. I thank you so much for people who came out, actually drove an hour and 45 minutes to be there, people who prayed, and were just part of that whole experience. It just gave me such warmth and courage to know my church family supports the ministry. Amen? We believe in the preaching of God's Word, and we want to see that that's not Ceres and Modesto, but the entire world that is affected by God's Word and by His goodness. Well, being in Mountain View was something very interesting. There are things in Mountain View I was quite unprepared for. Now, you guys know another name for that Mountain View San Jose area is called Silicon Valley the reason why is because there are a lot of internet companies. There are a lot of internet startup companies. You have Google that's over there. You have a lot of these companies that when we just sort of go online, we see, sort of see the name. That's where many of these uh, companies, their headquarters are. Um, it's a very affluent area. Just to give you a little bit of a heads up of what Mountain View is like. I was staying at some church members' house. I've been there the last three weeks. They're church members of the Mountain View uh, Central Church. And they told me that their neighbor, and I saw the neighbor to the right, is vice president of YouTube. They said, You see the, that house across the street? I said, Yeah. They said, That's the actual, it's owned by the president of Simtech. I said, Really? And they said, Yeah. And one day when I was jogging down that same street, I mean, people were being picked up in limos. Like, this was like a very, this isn't Modesto, is what I thought. <laughs> okay? And uh, it was so interesting. I actually walked across the street because I saw this guy working on this, like, European muscle car. Walked across the street because I used to work on cars a little bit. And I was talking to him. Oh, his name is Bob. I'm like, hey, nice to meet you, Bob. And he's like, yeah, we talked for a little bit. Walked back into the church member's house. And they said, yeah, you met Bob. I go, yeah. They go, you know, Bob is vice president of Wells Fargo. I go, like, the little bank down the street? The entire corporation. And I realized, whoa, this is an affluent area, much different. Do you know San Jose actually has more PhDs per square mile than any place in the entire United States? Very affluent, very, uh, you could say it's sort of an intellectual epicenter for the entire United States. A lot of things take place in that area. A lot of people drive Beamers, and a lot of people drive Mercedes-Benz, and so it's just very much a a very different area than what I'm normally used to. But God really blessed this Prophecy Seminar. We had a great turnout. Twenty-four people made a decision for baptism. Praise the Lord. Amen? And we have a profession of faith also uh, in addition to that and others who are actually making decisions as well. But just to let you know, the type of people who are making these decisions, we had an attorney from Google. We had a software engineer from Google. We had various other individuals who you could say, um, they're in a different class when it comes to wealth. But God really blessed because that, and it helps me to understand, God's word reaches across every single culture. Can you say amen to that? And regardless of where people are at in this world, whether they're in this, uh, whether in this is really expensive area or an area that's not so expensive, God's word can reach each person. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants us to take the gospel wherever we are at. Amen. 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 And it, but it has been it is good to be back in series. I'll tell you this, I really missed this church. Mountain View is a wonderful church. Great people there. Great pastor. Great people who are, who are praying and asking just for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. But they got their palms like every church. They got a few troublemakers there as well. But I realized something while I was there. I was realized there's just some people who don't get it. You know what I mean? There's just some people who are standing in the way of what God is doing. And just kind of being there as a visitor and preaching, I realized sort of what the pastor was dealing with as they were trying to do the work of evangelism, as they were trying to see the gospel go out. There was just a few church members that just stood in the way. And I thought to myself, do they understand what they're doing? Ladies and gentlemen, let's pray that we are never those type of people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray that we never stand in the way of what God is doing. In fact, the Bible even says one of the last signs will be people in the church who are seeking to destroy other people and claiming it's the service of God. God wants us to be faithful to Him. Amen? And if God is moving, we better stand out of the way. Otherwise, we will have to answer to Him. God wants us to be faithful to him and to be part of what he is doing. The gospel is going to the entire world. And many people all over the world are making decisions. And I'm really excited because the rest of the year, I believe God has some special things in store. Amen? Amen. I just really miss you guys. All right. We're going to be looking at a very interesting story in the Bible. Take your Bible, and we're going to the story of 2 Kings. It's the story of a very interesting individual. Hopefully, I don't knock over any of these instruments. They're very expensive. But if I do, at home, we'll pay for them. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. We're going to be looking at a very interesting story. The story of a, 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 a you can say, a very unusual individual in, in the Bible. His name is Jehu. Now, the reason why I was thinking about Jehu the last few weeks is because there is said something about Jehu that he had a very unusual way of driving. The Bible says that he drove furiously. In fact, the word that's used to describe his driving, it says actually in Hebrew, it's like madness, craziness. Now, the reason why that was so relevant to me the last few weeks is because when I actually went to San Jose before I started the series, I was driving back at night, and there was a road I thought I'd take. It's a shortcut. It's called the 84 Highway. I was like, I'll just take this. It's a quiet road. And when you're driving a, a truck that has a V8 engine, it doesn't feel like a Honda Civic, okay? And when you're getting on the road and you just drive, you don't realize how fast you're actually going. And at night, when you don't really see the signs, sometimes you can exceed the speed limit. And sometimes at night, you don't see policemen who are hiding out. So I was driving. I was driving down this road, and this is before I actually started this series. I was coming back to Modesto, and I was, like, driving. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm just driving, listening to some uh, David Tank music I have in my car. I have it. It's a good CD. Listening to that music, and then all of a sudden... I look, and there is these flashing lights behind me. And you know that feeling when your stomach just drops. You know that feeling? And you're just like, God, have mercy on me. And you're just thinking, this would be a great sermon illustration about grace, God. If you just give me grace right here, I'll talk about it. It's grace. And so I was, like, I was just like hoping he was just going to come to the side and just pass me up chasing somebody else. But he stayed behind me. And then I was like, Ugh. I pulled over. And I was like, I'm hoping, Lord, that this is just going to be a sort of a fluke thing. Well, he gets there and he pulls up, he comes right to the side of me. He's like, How you doing? I go, I'm fine. And you always gotta be nice because we're Christians, amen? (laughs) Even if you get the ticket, you still have to be nice. So I was there and he's like, he's like, so you were speeding? I said, Yeah, I was speeding. You know, I can talk a mile, you know, like 10 million miles a minute, but when it comes down to just when to, with the cop, I'm just like, yeah, I speeded, like a little kid. And he's like, can I have your driver's license and your registration? I'm like, here it is. I hand it to him. He walks away, and he comes back, and he has the ticket, and I'm like, ugh. And then he says, all right, I sign here. And then I said, officer, can't you give me grace? He looks at me, and he's like, you were speeding, man. I said, come on. And he's like, sorry. And he fills it out. And I was like, oh, my goodness. But you know, here's the thing. After that, that morning, I read in the scriptures, it says in Proverbs, that blows, talking about wounds, cleanse the heart of evil. Now you think, how does that apply to this? Because I realized that from then on, all the driving that I did, and I did a lot of driving, I always remembered that I needed to keep the speed limit. I, I kept an extra eye on my speedometer because I realized that I needed to keep the speed limit. And I actually realized, well, this turned out for some kind of blessing because I was not breaking the law anymore. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible talks about somebody else who had a problem with speeding. This individual was anointed by God. His name was Jehu. And this was the time when Israel was in apostasy. A lot of Baal worship came in, and a lot of Molech worship came in, and there was all this paganism coming into God's people. And so God raised up Elisha, who was somebody who came after Elijah. And God told Elisha, I want you to anoint an individual. His name is Jehu, and we're going to learn more about this Jehu figure. In fact, there are special instructions given to Jehu, very unusual instructions. We're going to 2 Kings. So if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Amen. 2 Kings, and we are going to chapter 9. Watch the instruction that Elisha gives to a servant. It's very unusual because it helps you to understand the type of person Jehu was. Verse 1, And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophet and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look look therefore for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates. Take him into an inner room. Now watch this. Then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Now watch the next bit of instructions. Then open the door and what? Flee. Do not what? Delete. Now that's very important. So God tells the prophet Elisha, go anoint this king. And so Elisha tells the servant, this is what I want you to do. And he says, as soon as you are done anointing him, open the door and take off running. Now that was very unusual instruction and it was based upon the type of individual Jehu was. Because you're going to discover that as soon as Jehu realized what the calling was, he immediately began to carry it out with power and aggression that was unstoppable. And so Elisha knew that as soon as this, was, this anointing took place, he had to run for his life lest he become part of this judgment. So something unusual happens. The, the servant comes up to Jehu. He anoints Jehu and all his friends recognize it and immediately Jehu begins to recognize his calling and begins to destroy what the Bible says, bail out Israel. Now what I'm going to be reading to you is going to sound very gruesome. It's going to sound like some type of Hollywood movie, some type of Terminator who shows up and is just destroying everybody. But what happens at the end is quite different than what we are expecting. Well, let's see what the Bible says happens next. Verse 17. Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel. Chapter 9, verse 17. And he saw the company of Jehu as he came. And he said, I see a company of men. And Joram, who was the king, get a horseman and send him to meet him. And let him say, is it peace? They noticed the unusual company coming towards the palace and they noticed that they were driving or they were driving their chariots in a very unusual way. There was some type of urgency and this king Joram thought something might be wrong. So he sends out a messenger. Watch what happens next. So the horseman, verse 18, went to meet him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? Now watch what Jehu says. And Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, The messenger went to them, but is not coming back. Then he sent a second horseman who came into them and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. Then the watchman reported saying He went to them and is not driving back Now watch this And the driving is like the driving of Jehu the son of Nimshi For he drives what? Furiously They recognize No, no, no This is Jehu He's one of the captains of the guard Of the army And he was driving in just this very unusual way In a chariot And you can just imagine Like the rocks are just coming out And he's just like skipping And he's just on this chariot Sort of like Ben-Hur and he's just whipping this thing and he's just going faster and faster and the company's behind him and they, they're racing at top speed. Jehu was known for being a very unusual chariot driver. When he drove, the Bible says, this is just like Jehu. He drives furiously, the word means in Hebrew, with madness, with craziness. Like he had no regards for anything around him or the terrain. He had one destiny and he was going to meet it. So let's see what happens next. Verse 21, Then Joram said, Make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu, and met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And now it happened, when Joram saw Jehu, he said, Is it peace, Jehu? He answered, what peace as long as the harlot trees of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. Now Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, treachery Ahaziah. And they realized that that Jehu was on the way to kill them. So these two kings turned around and said, take off running. And the Bible says at that moment Jehu took a bow with full strength and just let that arrow fly, killed one of the kings. Then he went after the other king and killed him too. But Jehu was not done with his work of judgment. The Bible says he went out to do more things in Israel just in a matter of days. In a matter of days, this man was anointed and he began to carry out this unusual work of judgment and bloodshed. Let's see what happens next. Verse 30. Now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel, remember, that was Ahab's wife and she was responsible for a lot of that paganism coming in. Jezebel heard of it. She put on paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. Then as Jehu Jehu entered at the gate, she said, is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? Zimri was actually somebody in the Old Testament, a previous king who actually did a coup and murdered his master. And she says, you're just like Zimri. You're going to murder us, aren't you? Then look what it says in verse 32. He looked up at the window and said, who is on my side? Who? And two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, throw her down. And instantly, these three eunuchs realized it's either their life or her life. They grabbed her, threw her over, and the Bible says that the judgment that God promised upon Jezebel took place. And so he dealt with this. But he was not done yet. This Jehu, this man who was carrying out this judgment, now began to go forth into the next phase. And you realize this man had a thirst for blood. Look what the Bible says in chapter 10, starting with verse 1. Now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria, and Jehu wrote and sent letters to Samaria, to the rulers of Jezreel, to the elders, and to those who reared Ahab's son, saying... Now, as soon as this letter comes to you, since you or your master's sons are with you and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city also, and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's son and set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. And the people were really scared because this challenge was coming from this madman who was anointed by God. And instead, they say, You just tell us what to do, Jehu. We don't want to fight you. Jehu gives the instructions. Take a good look in verse 6 he wrote him a second letter to them saying, if you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's son, and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow morning. And sure enough, those people, those elders got the heads of these, they, they killed the sons of Ahab because these were heirs to the throne. And they knew that they knew that if they were allowed to live, Ahab sort of legacy would continue. So they said we don't want any of this. We don't want to deal with Jehu either. And so they killed them. But Jehu was not done yet. In the matter of days he began to carry out this unusual judgment upon Israel. Watch what the Bible says next. It's so unusual. Take a good look in verse 12. Chapter 10 verse 12. And he arose and departed, went to Samaria. On the way at Beth-Ech of the shepherds Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah king of Judah and said who are you? So as he was making his way to the next phase of judgment, they were coming across these unusual group of people who happened to be relatives or brothers of the of the king Ahaziah. And Jehu recognized and said, Who are you? Watch what happens. So they answered, we are the brothers of Ahaziah. We have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. Verse 14, he said, take them alive. So they took them alive, killed them at the well of Beth-Echt. Forty-two men, and he left none of them. The next phase of judgment happens in a matter of days. Jehu was just taking out everybody left and right, left and right. And that's why Elisha told his servant, as soon as you're done anointing, open the door and run for your life. Because he knew when Jehu realized his destiny, nothing was going to stop it. But Jehu was not done yet. He was not done yet. Let's see what the Bible says next. Verse 18 Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, and Jehu will serve him much. Now therefore call to him, me, all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Ominous words, he was planning something. Whoever is missing shall not live. But Jehu acted deceptively with the intent of destroying the worshippers of Baal. And you know what he did? Anybody in Israel who worshipped Baal came out to this great feast because they thought, oh, Jehu's having a feast. He's the next king in line. He is going to have another feast to Baal. So all these people began to show up from Israel who worshippers of Baal. And there was a lot of people. And as soon as they were all together, he told the army, surround them, execute them one by one. And the Bible says something so interesting at the end of this unusual judgment. At the end of this unusual judgment, go all the way to verse 28. Thus Jehu destroyed what? Baal from where? Israel. The work of judgment took place with Jehu. One by one, Jehu took it out. One phase after another, in just a matter of days, he executed all these worshippers of Baal. He executed these kings that were worshiping Baal. And ladies and gentlemen, it's not just because they had a different religion. It's because the religion that they were worshiping also had certain types of behavior that came with it as well. In fact, when you go to, uh, there's a historic site in Carthage, which is the farthest outpost of Baal and Molech worship. And they found just around... One of the altars, over 600 urns of infants that were sacrificed to the god of Baal. And this is just what was found. Not to also mention others that were found. There were things that were going on, and God realized that he needed to begin a work of judgment. And the Bible, when the Bible talks in the Old Testament about God's wrath, we sometimes think of that as sort of this uncontrollable anger when you get mad, like, say, if you get a ticket over $400, you know, you get mad or whatever, and you think to yourself, like, I'm just... It's this order, sort of what comes to our mind is this uncontrollable rage. But ladies and gentlemen, what God's wrath is in the Old Testament is simply this. It is this. It is God's disappointment... And now the need for action. God's been disappointed and he realizes that he needs to act now or everyone else will be um, infected by these things. And so his judgment had to come upon Israel. Otherwise, there would never been in Israel. Otherwise, the Messiah would never have been born. Otherwise, there would be no salvation for the entire world. And so God has to act, and he anoints this man, and this man begins to carry out this work of judgment one phase after another, and just in a matter of days, he's taken out everybody left and right, and the Bible says he was somebody who just really acted furiously, unstoppable, indomitable. No one was stopping what he was doing. And the Bible says he destroyed Baal out of Israel. Now we stop right there and we say, well, this man did what God wanted him to do. But it's the next few verses that are quite shocking. Verse 29. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sinned, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Do you know what you are looking at is the very cause of why there was a succession of fallen kings that came after David? Because one of the sons of Solomon instituted this worship towards these golden calves. This became the root of all the problems. So here, here, Jehu is dealing with the fruit. He's dealing with Baal worship. But here's the thing. He did not deal with the root of the problem. He just dealt with the fruit. And the Bible says he destroyed Baal out of, out of all of Israel. But the same things that caused Baal worship to begin were still left there. In fact, watch what else the Bible says about him. Go to verse 31. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all of his, what? Heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, who made Israel to, what? Sin. You know what the Bible tells us about this? The work of Jehu? In the busyness of everything he was doing, in just this sort of uh, methodical way he was carrying out the judgment of God attempting to bring on this kind of righteousness upon Israel the Bible says that he himself never took heed to walk in the law of the Lord in other words in all the great things he was doing his heart was unconverted Ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at the individual who was responsible for getting rid of Baal worship out of Israel, yet the Bible talks about his own heart that he took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord himself. Ladies and gentlemen, as I was just really contemplating this over the course of the last three weeks while I was in mountain, I have realized something. I've realized something that is just something that is just really hitting my own heart more and more and more and more. I believe that God has blessed the work of our hands and the church, especially in the last few years, and we have done a great work like Jehu did. But ladies and gentlemen, have we neglected the most important element, which is conversion of our heart? Have we neglected this element that our own hearts are actually changed. Just like Jehu, we can be in just this fury of ministries and various things. We can be busy with doing this and this and this and this. Yet at the end, God can still say, but what righteousness did you actually bring upon the people? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something because each one of us can fall into the same lot that Jehu did. We can be busy with all the things of the world, even seemingly good things, yet our own hearts can be unconverted. The Bible even talks about uh, Nicodemus. I studied Nicodemus with the young adults last night. They were just so busy. Excuse me, Nicodemus, not them. (laughs) Nicodemus was just somebody who the Bible says he was a teacher of Israel, a Pharisee. And yet God says to him, unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. He was letting Nicodemus know, Nicodemus, as much as you know the scriptures, as much as you are a teacher, God says to him, your heart needs to change. Do you know Peter who walked with Jesus three and a half years? You know what Jesus says to Peter? Peter, you're not converted. Do you know what the message is to the church at Laodicea? The final message given to God's church. Do you do not know that you are poor, miserable, and blind? The same message that, was, that Jehu did not understand. And by the way, did you know there is... Archaeological artifacts that describe Jehu And there's actually a picture of it I wanted to show it today, but I didn't have time Of him, after this time Going before an Assyrian king And paying homage to the Assyrian king It's Jehu He never took heed to walk in the law of the Lord Ladies and gentlemen, we have a big problem in this world And that is unconversion Our hearts are unconverted And that is the main problem You know, there's, uh, it was Malcolm Muggeridge, this great journalist who actually died not too long ago, and he says this. He said something so interesting. He said, the most intellectually resisted teaching in this entire world is that of human depravity, that we are fallen people who have unconverted hearts. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. The problem that took place that started at the Garden of Eden is the same problem, and we need to understand this. At 7th day a.m. so we can say to ourselves, I know all the truths, but ladies and gentlemen, that does not qualify you to go to heaven. Yeah. Amen? That does not qualify you to go to heaven. And we need to understand this. It is not information we just need. It is transformation. Amen? And this is what God wants to do for each and every person. And this is what we need to understand like never before, is that God wants to change our hearts. Even John the Baptist told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he told them, he says, do not say to yourself just because you are descendants of Abraham that you will be in the kingdom of God. He said to them, he said, God can raise up stones and turn them into the children of Abraham. Ladies and gentlemen, just because we are born into the Adventist church or we had parents who are part of the Adventist church, that does not mean we're going to heaven. Amen. God wants us to understand it is not just information we need. We need transformation. We need a change of heart. Amen. Unless we have this change of heart, like God told Nicodemus, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. Amen. But praise the Lord, God has a solution for each and every one of us. Amen? God wants to do the work that we can't do. And over again, this thought was hitting me while I was in Mountain View that I need a converted heart. And unless I have this converted heart, it's all in vain. It's in vain, ladies and gentlemen. It is vain. You can pile up all the knowledge you want, but unless there is a change in your heart, it will avail nothing. And this is what Jesus was seeking to do and to teach the Israelites what he was seeking to do to teach the Jews that their hearts needed to be changed. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to start seeking for transformation. When we ask ourselves, okay, how do we gauge whether or not a church is successful? We might say, well, if the congregation is there, okay, so we say Sabbath attendance. Or we might say to ourselves, The work of evangelism that's happening. Praise the Lord. I believe in that 100%. Or we might say to ourselves, tithe. Praise the Lord. Our tithe has gone up. You know that we are number three church in the entire conference right now. But let me ask you a question. Is that a sign of success? If you were to ask me, what is the sign of a successful church? You know what I would say? Its members are converted. There's conversion in the church. And you know what God is wanting to do for each and every one of us? He wants to do the work that we cannot do, and He's been waiting to do it. Amen? In fact, let's take our Bible. Let's find out how this work can really take place. Everyone, take your Bible. Let's go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I want you to see something so remarkable in Scripture, something so powerful. John chapter 15, page 1043. John chapter 15. If you're there, please say amen. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the what? Vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Ladies and gentlemen, this this plant's either good for one or two things. For food or fuel. See what the Bible says next. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Notice that. Let's continue. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in what? The Bible is teaching something so powerful. Jesus is communicating a lesson. Unless you are connected to him. A real connection, he says, you will never bear fruit. And that is so important for us to understand as Christians, ladies and gentlemen, unless we are connected as a church, as individuals to God, we will never bear the fruits of conversion. Our hearts will never change. We can keep going out of this, and at the end, God will still say to us like he did to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Ladies and gentlemen, what God is wanting for each and every one of us, he is wanting us to be reconnected to God in a special way. Somebody says right here, well, I do ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not a sign you are connected. Even Jesus says to people, he says, many will come to him that day and say, did I not do miracles in your name? Did I not do this in your name? Did I not do this in your name? And do you remember what Jesus said? I never knew you. Ladies and gentlemen, what God is calling for like never before, He is calling for us as a church to start being connected to the vine again, to grow again. And God is promising a work that He has been waiting to do that we can't do of ourselves. And as we're seeking after this, God begins a transformation in our heart that we have been longing for Him to do. Can you say amen to that? In fact, what is so interesting, I came across this powerful work found in Humble Hero. In the work of redemption, there is no forced obedience. Can you say amen to that? We are left free, now watch this, to choose whom we will serve. When we surrender to Christ, there is the highest sense of freedom. Expelling sin, now watch this, is the act of the soul itself. Did you get that? Expelling sin is the act of the soul of its, itself. How does that take place? When we desire to be set free from sin and when we cry out for a power outside of and above ourselves, the power of the soul receives the energy of the Holy Spirit and they obey the instructions of the will to fulfill the will of God. The only condition of which our freedom is possible is that, that we must become one with Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, what God wants to do, He wants to reconnect you to the vine again. He wants you to bear fruit. I always bring this illustration. I was dealing with some people who were getting baptized and I was telling them, I said, and you know churches, some churches do not have any real plants in their entire church. But just say, this is a real plant. This is a real plant? Okay, it's a real. It's not, it's not a real plant. But it's beautiful. Okay, imagine this was a real plant. I could say to this plant, and let's just imagine it's a tomato plant, okay? Just work with me on here. Okay? And just say, I want this thing to grow. If I was to take a gun and make threaten this thing, is it going to grow? What if I have shears and I'm going to cut you down if you don't grow? How about I manipulate? Come on, man, you just grow. I'll give you some more fertilizer. (laughs) It's not going to grow. No matter what I do, it's not going to grow. Ladies and gentlemen, God has shown us in Scripture one way to grow, and that is union with Christ. We as a church need to rediscover this union. In fact, something I was so impressed with when I was at Mountain View that really spoke to my heart, they have a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And it just hit me. We need to have a Wednesday night prayer meeting. God wants us to learn to pray together as a church, ladies and gentlemen. We've lost that. We love coming here, and I know you, praise the Lord, you like hearing Pastor Noel Candle's sermon. Glory to God, right? You love Pastor Ted too. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. It's in vain if we're not connected to Christ. It's vain, and we're heaping up more judgment for ourselves because it's more knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, what God is wanting us to do He is wanting us to learn this reconnection with Christ. And when we learn this reconnection, He will do the work that we have been waiting for Him. Tvelling of sin will become a power that takes place repeatedly in our lives because we have learned to stay connected to God. Can you say amen to that? In fact, something took place when I was in Silicon Valley, the epicenter of technology. My Apple computer stopped working. It's quite unusual. And I couldn't find anybody to work on it in there. Can you believe it? Silicon Valley. Went to this person. I don't know anything about Apple computers. I mean, we're in Silicon Valley, man. Something unusual happened. (laughs) Every time I'd be clicking the PowerPoint during the evangelistic series, it would freeze up. I had the same problem here. I thought it was the clicker. I asked my friend who lived nearby, I was like, do you have a different clicker? He gives me a different clicker. I talked to the pastor, he gives me a different clicker. I had four different clickers. I was like, one of them is going to be working. I tested it always right before the sermon. And then when the sermon would begin, after like the first or second slide, it would just click, and I would just stand there, foolishly, just clicking it. And then I look at the AV guys, like we sometimes do today, and just like, fix the problem, please. And they just like, we do not know what's going on either. And so I was clicking it, and then I had to do one sermon. Actually, the first sermon started off like that, too. I had to click it with my hand. I had to be right attached to the computer. You know, I don't like to be attached to it. One spot. And so I was so frustrated. I said, what in the world is going on? I started praying about it. I was like, Lord, show me how to fix this computer. I don't want to spend money for a brand new computer. So I called up Apple. I said, hello? I said, there's something wrong with my computer. And they said, what's the problem? And they, so they gave me some things I could do to test it out. It wasn't the port where the clicker receiver was going in. They said, so what program are you using? And I said, well, it's Microsoft. They said, you're going to have to call Microsoft up. I says, all right. Called up Microsoft. I said, hey, I got a problem with my PowerPoint. It's not working. What do I do? And they said, you're going to have to deal with a specific branch of our corporation. They deal with PowerPoint. So I called them up. I was like, and they, It was an answer machine. They said, please leave your phone number. I left my phone number. And then two days later, I get this call. And it's like, hello, this is Varinda calling from uh, Microsoft. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I chuckled a little bit because I was like, here I am, an Indian in Silicon Valley, needing help from another Indian who's in India with my computer over here. Quite unusual. And it, I, was like, I, was, I was like, so where are you located? He's like, in Mumbai, India. I was like, okay. And so we were talking. I told him the problem. And he's like, okay. And he just knew what he was doing. He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to this website. I went to this website. And he says, type in this code. Type in this code. And he says, what you have now done is given me remote control. And I said, you now have control of my computer? He's like, yes. All the way from India? He's like, yes. And I was set back. And the mouse, the clicker, the thing was moving on its own. And he was clicking on various things. And what he said is this. He said the last update that came from Microsoft regarding PowerPoint actually had a bug in it. And he says what we're going to have to do is I'm going to have to uninstall... Microsoft Office from your computer and then reinstall it without taking that last update to be part of it. He said, do not la- add that last update until we have fixed this problem. But he says, I'm going to help you with this problem right now. And so what he did, I was just watching it, he uninstalled you know, Microsoft Office. And I sat back and I was just watching him like, this is amazing. He's doing this all the way from India. He has control. And then I was like, can I ask you a question? He's like, yeah. I was like, can you just do this on any computer? Can you take control? And he's like, we- only if we have authorization. And then I was like, so that's the only thing you need? You can actually take control? And there was silence. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's keep going. And so, like, <laughs> and, so, like, and so, like, I realized this. So, you know, I have the top of my uh, computer. I have the camera blocked out. You know you need to be doing that these days. And so I have it blocked off, and I was just watching him. He uninstalled Microsoft Office, and then he, would inst- he reinstalled Microsoft Office. The only thing I did is that at certain points... It would ask for an administrative password, and he did not have access to that. That was my business. And all I would have to do was at certain points for him to uninstall the program, administrative password would come up. I'd come up and type it up real quickly. And then he would go to the next step. And then it would ask for the administrative password, and then I would have to type it up. And each phase that this, was, this work was taking place, the only thing I had to do was give him permission And the computer works perfectly now. And you know what I realized? That God wants to do the same work in our lives. And as we give him permission, step by step, he's able to repair the junk in our heart. Can you say amen to that? This is what God wants to do for our unconverted hearts. And this is what he has been waiting for, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why she says over here, the only condition of which our freedom is possible is that we must become one with God christ god wants to do a special work in our lives ladies and gentlemen and we need to give him permission as we are connected and choosing to be connected to the vine as we begin this special work of communion each of us individually and corporately ladies and gentlemen god will do a great marvel in this church he has been waiting to do i believe he has blessed us over the course of the last several years but now he is calling us to the next step which is seeking for transformation. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to do this work in your lives. Is there anybody here today by the raising of the hand who wants to say, Lord, I want the work of transformation in my heart. I want my heart changed. God is waiting to do this, ladies and gentlemen. He's waiting to do this mighty work, and if we will allow Him, He will do it. I want to invite you out this Wednesday. We're going to have a a Wednesday night prayer meeting, 7 o'clock, and we'll be done by 8. It's going to be no real preaching. I'm going to say a few words, then we're going to pray. Because we want to begin something special with God. Amen? The work of the Holy Spirit. We want God to do his work now. Amen? Let's pray, church family. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for the examples given to us in Scripture. About imperfect men who made a lot of mistakes, Lord. And God, people who who learned to follow you too. Lord, we want to begin this work of transformation. We don't just want information, Lord. We have a lot of it. We want you to change what we cannot change. And God, we acknowledge to you that we have tried and have utterly failed. God, we are praying that you would write your law upon our hearts that you would create in us a clean heart, that you would help us to be born of the Spirit every single day. And Lord, as we begin this process of reconnecting to the vine, not just individually, but corporately, God, we pray that your promise would come true, that we would bear fruit, that you may be glorified. Lord Jesus, you're the only one who can make this possible. Bless each person. Lord, may they have a sense of what they need to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.